Hey folks, attorney Andrew Branca here from American Law Courses, and I have some really exciting news and content to share with all of you. Uh, the American Law Courses spring semester 2023 kicked off yesterday with the launch of our course, American Property, Freedom, Liberty, and Ownership. As you probably know, our American Law Courses are law school level courses intended for lay people. They're taught live by experts in the area of the law, over a semester-long basis, just like law school. They're designed to replicate the law school experience, but at a fraction of the time and cost of law school and without the toxic politics of today's law school environment. They're taught live on a semester basis, weekly courses for 14 weeks, and we have courses in criminal law, property, evidence, constitutional law, criminal justice, a whole curriculum of content that we're putting out for all of you Again, law school level education at a fraction of the time and cost of law school. So for any of you who've wondered what law school might be like if you'd had attended it yourself, now's your opportunity to take advantage of this, these American law courses. So American Property, Freedom, Liberty, and Ownership is a live course being taught by attorney Andrew Esquire, a genuine expert in property law. As with all our courses, it's a semester-long course. This one's taught Monday evenings for 14 weeks over the spring semester with an optional final exam for certification at the end. And the reason for this particular video is to share with you how Andrew absolutely crushed last night's first American property class of the semester. In fact, the class was so outstanding that I've decided to share with you here a brief 20-minute portion of it to give you a taste of the quality of content being delivered by Andrew in this American Property course. And if you like this small taste, you can go on to watch the entirety of last night's almost two-hour first class in this American Property course for free. And hopefully then make the smart decision to sign up as a student for the entire course. In fact, you can find that full-length video at AmericanLawCourses.com slash property video. In fact, to encourage all of you to make the smart choice and sign up as a student yourself, we're extending our 50% off pre-registration for this American Property course for one more day today. So I urge you to take advantage of this opportunity. Enjoy the 20-minute segment of last night's class I'm going to share with you right now. Click over to the full length of yesterday's class and then sign up as a student of American property, freedom, liberty, and ownership. And you can do that at AmericanLawCourses.com today. That out of the way, here is Andrew Esquire teaching his American property course. Just a 20-minute taste of that right here. Um, I'll just play this one. So this is, the, this is the main one that everybody goes about. Like, you'll know nothing and be happy. Whatever you want, you'll rent and deliver it by drone. That's another big one.
Yeah. So that's, that's their agenda right there. And that's what I wanted to get to um, with the World Economic Forum. Uh, and of course, the World Economic Forum is made up of these lovely individuals. These are, these are very representative uh, of the World Economic Forum and their interests. Of course, you have uh, front and center, the biggest photo. Uh, is uh, a little guy, a little guy, Winnie the Pooh over here, Xi Jinping. Uh, you know, of course, you got Gates over here. Uh, you know, they're going to keep him a little bit less prominent uh, nowadays. And uh, Greta. Um, but let, let's talk about what was in that video for a second. So the you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That is at the core of the challenge to American property law. It is, um, you will possess nothing. Nothing will be in your name. Your private property will be gone. Uh, you know, you know where that, you know where that reminds me of? Uh, this guy's country over here. If you guys don't know, uh, property rights don't exist in the CCP. The CCP does not give, you don't have property in the CCP. You lease it from the government at their leisure. You have to renew your lease after a given period of time, but you never actually own the property. Nothing is actually yours uh, there. So it's very much, the WEF is very much going towards a Chinese, i.e. a very socialist Marxist concept of property. Uh, furthermore, you know, you're being, things that aren't your property are being treated like they are your property. That's Greta. That's climate change. The carbon is being treated the same as coronavirus in my example. That's, this, this is demented, right? You are controlling the thing, right? You are owning the thing. Um, so it's, it's a different concept than we've seen in the past in terms of liability for property. Um, and then, of course, when we get into Bill, uh, we get into all of the medical side of things. We get into, you know, obviously, you know, Bill is big in the, the VAX community, but also involving uh, the organ donation. I thought that was very interesting to put that in there uh, because, you know, in this guy's country, right, uh, you know, your organs aren't really your property either. They'll, they'll harvest those from you if they, if you're, you know, incarcerated, locked up. You are deprived of life, liberty, and property at the leisure of the state. Um, so, and these are all things that, that frankly to me, um, are extremely concerning and problematic. And you guys are making all the right emojis there. You know, what about Bill? Will he own nothing? No. And, and the, the thing is, you know, the folks that run the WEF, uh, Klaus Schwab, um, I don't have him in here, but, if you haven't listened to Klaus Schwab, that guy literally is a Bond supervillain. Uh, you could not make him in a factory to be more of a supervillain than he is. So uh, that that guy who runs the WEF is absolutely pushing for a Marxist socialist view of the world that is very much in line with both uh, Xi Jinping and Greta. Uh, it's kind of the combo there of those two. Uh, and Gates, right? That's the un the unholy trio there. Um. But the people who are at the top will never be the ones who suffer. Uh, it will be you, the, the 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 regular people, right? Everybody who's a normal person, the elites will not be the one to suffer in this. They'll continue to enjoy their privileges and immunities, just like they do in the CCP, right? There is a wide divide between the average person in China and the elite in China. It is, is worlds ahead um, in terms of, or worlds apart, rather, not ahead because it really drags them all behind. It drags their society behind. It drags their culture behind or lack thereof. So this is a huge threat. Um, things coming from that and that are along the new understanding of property, you will own nothing and be happy. Obviously, ownership and taking away ownership is, is, sent to, is fundamental to that. And you will rent everything. And look, 
I'm not a guy who says, hey, you got to own everything. There's times when if you do an economic analysis, renting is smarter than buying. Uh, There's certain markets in which renting is smarter than buying. I agree. However, to take away the option to own is, I think, a fundamental deprivation of liberty. I think you need that option to be able to purchase the thing if it makes sense for you and not allow the state to be in control of that. Blue blood doing blue blood things. Absolutely is right. 100%. Central bank digital currencies. Let's talk about that for a bit. Um, I think maybe some of you may have heard of them in the forms of the digital dollar. In China, they've already rolled this out. They've already got the um, the digital yuan. Um, they use mobile payments uh, very, very, very commonly. Um, even here in Korea, mobile payments are are fairly common, but you know it's it's all uh, capitalist app based, not centralized um, government based. Um, but a central bank digital currency is essentially a digital dollar, you know, and it's on your smartphone, right? And the government, whenever they want, can just press a button and turn off your bank account. So your uh, the idea that you own, you possess the money that's in your bank account, that that's your property, your wealth, it's going to be eroded upon. They, they, they don't think that your wealth is actually your wealth. They view your wealth and your labor as still belonging to the state. This is redefining property. This is not an American, it's not a capitalist, it's not a Western view of property. It's certainly an alternative view. At best, a Marxist view. A universal basic income. Um, oh, sorry, Pete. Go in here, Pete. It says Andrew, have you met the IRS? They can do the the same thing if they choose. That's very true. And I will say, the one people, the one agency you don't mess with, you know, is not the ATF or the FBI. It's the IRS. You do not mess with the IRS. I can can confirm, right? I mean, there's a reason why, as a lawyer, the quickest way to get debarred or punished is financial crimes. You're going to get punished for financial crimes far more than you will uh, for anything else, right? I mean, you can be doing you can be doing cocaine. You could be getting in a you know, there's assault, battery, stuff like that, DV, and they're still going to let you let you fly at the bar. I've seen it. Uh, versus not not in every case, but there are people who have been convicted on cocaine trafficking charges, and they are still practicing attorneys. You steal $10 from a client trust fund, you're going to get disbarred. Um, and by the way, I agree with that. I think you should get disbarred for that. But I also think that maybe that we should be looking at some of the crimes of moral turpitude, some of these things that people are doing that are shady, and maybe we should be disbarring people for those. I'm just saying, maybe it should be equal. Uh, but the IRS is somebody somebody you don't, you don't mess with. I say, you know, listen, if you're running a business, if you're an entrepreneur, it pays to have those papers, right? It pays to have the accountant. If you think, hey, do I need to pay somebody to help me with this? I would just err on the side of it, having someone double check instead of someone help. Uh, if that's true, then Alex Murdaugh's host. Oh, Alex Murdaugh is in big trouble for many reasons. Uh, if you guys aren't following that case, that's going to be a crazy one. Uh, I'm going to cover it uh, later this month, uh, but he's going to be in big, uh, big trouble, big trouble. <laughs> yeah, it, it's early for me, Steve. It's early for me. There'll be a couple uh, slips of the tongue here. So universal basic income. Um, I think that's a different, also a different a redefining a property because it, it's entitling you to property, saying this is something you are owed as a citizen or not even as a citizen, as a human being. We're going to give this to people, um, some concepts of universal basic income. Some of them are, hey, taxpayers get 
a thousand bucks a month, two thousand bucks a month, some sort of amount a month, no matter what. You just get it. You just get that money, cash in your bank account. Um, some concepts are: hey, you if you're in the country, you're you're physically present, you get that income. Either concept is problematic. I mean, the 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 first issue here. Um, is that obviously you've got to print money to make that happen. There's not enough money in the system as is, uh, let alone to, to make that happen. The only concept that I've ever heard of universal basic income that could even sort of work is, okay, well, if you got rid of all the entitlement programs, and I mean all of them, right? All the subsidies, all the pork, everything, you know, corn subsidies, everything. Maybe you could come up with universal basic income and pull it off um, and just give a raw number to everybody. Maybe if you repealed all of the uh, the entitlement programs, but it'd be better just to repeal them and, and let people keep their own money. That's the superior solution there. But it's a redefining of property. It's saying, hey, I am do this. I am entitled this property for my mere existence, not because it's a fruit of my labor. We're going to talk about John Locke and his theories uh, about labor in the labor theory, it's not because you labor. It's because you breathe. It's because you exist. Um, let's see. Susan says, as a business owner, I cannot find people who want to work with universal basic income. It'll become possible. Yeah. And Susan, I, I will say, look, I'm an elder millennial, right? Uh, and I know we are a much low generation. I will say, uh, if you guys even, even, talk to anybody in Gen Z that's the generation below uh, us, you know, folks who are in their early 20s, uh, you know, right now, coming into the workforce, late teens, you are in for a surprise. If you think we were lazy, like millennials may want their like, you know, a lot of them want their safe spaces, their benefits, their time off, their work from home, their remote, all that stuff. Okay. At least they're willing to work when you, when, you know, when they're pampered and spoiled, right? Like they're spoiled, but the work Gen Z doesn't want to work at all. They, they want to do nothing. They want to actually do nothing. They want to actually do nothing. Uh, so it is going to be very, very difficult. I think in the labor market going forward, that that's a, that's a fundamental problem in America. Uh, not just for, not just in the property realm, that's just in general an issue, but I absolutely agree. And if you give universal basic income, the same people are going to say, why would I work? Unless you pay me more than this, why would I work? It's just essentially setting a minimum wage. Uh, taxable income, though. Well, that, it probably would be untaxable. I mean, if you're giving a, if it's the government giving it to you, it probably just would be straight, straight cash. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the systems that are proposed that I've seen, for example, when this idea was floated in Switzerland and other countries, it was just proposed to give you the money, like a stimmy check. You just get the check. Why would someone, why would the government give something away for free and not have their cake too? Yeah. That's that. And the thing is, once you give it entitlement, it's hard to take it away. You feel entitled to that. It's, that's why it's called an entitlement. Will said, uh, then all humans living in the country would be slaves to the government. Yep. And they'd be able to turn it on, turn it off. That's why these two things in combination, uh, central bank digital currencies, also referred to as CBDCs. If I ever say CBDC, I'm referring to this. If you were to combine CBDCs and universal basic income, UBI, this is the combo right here that I think is going to come in the future in certain countries, and it's going to lure people into compliance when you combine them. So you have digital money that you're getting for free. So, hey, just open your account. We're just, drop, we're just dropping $1,000 in your account, but it's digital dollars. You can't, you can't get them in paper. You can't redeem them in paper. And they lure people 
off of cash into CBDCs with some sort of incentive. And that's how they do it. I think they're going to try. Uh, they've already put out the U.S. Biden put out a paper that he is moving on the CBDCs. And by the way, I don't think, um, you know, this might I'm not going to go too deep into politics here, but I don't think many of the Republicans would be different. Right. Certainly, if it's somebody like Kevin McCarthy, I think that he'd be on board with that, um, maybe for different reasons, but still I'm be on board with that. Uh, and yes, Susan would be money they can turn off the world. Zorak said the only UBI argument I agree with was Alan Watts. He said in cases of non-employment, not unemployment, but that was the 70s, not today. Pete says when everyone gets a raise, prices increases. That prices increase. That's why fast food burger costs five dollars. Costs more to make, and relative income gets higher with each wage increase. Yes, the wage increase is the single biggest issue, and that's why companies, when they can, will move to um, automation uh, as. Things can be automated. They're just going to be automated. I see that already here, especially in Asia. They're very big on you know automating. Uh, there's like a lot of the the robots, everything else. That as soon as that can happen, it's going to happen because folks don't want to pay for it because the property is not as expensive as the wage, and it's kind of crazy when you do the math. You'd rather buy a machine for half a million for half a million than pay a worker. 40 or 50,000 because that 40 or 50,000 comes with required benefits, reporting, accounting, and all sorts of other drama that just may not be worth it. I mean, that that half a million dollar machine isn't going to complain, quit. It's not going to get sick. It's just going to do its job and do its job. Um, Self-checkout all over. Yeah. Um, And you're right. Yeah. It's stabilization for inflation. And then last, last, equity and uh, equality. This is something that I talk about a lot on my channel and um, I'm not going to go too deep on it, but I, I just want to make sure that everyone understands the concept of equity versus equality is a challenge because equity is not starting on the same footing. It is giving those people a thing in order to put them on the same level as the highest in society. So saying that, hey, this person earns. You know, the, the top earner earns $10,000 a month. Well, now we've got we've to boost up the weakest performer in the company. So everybody makes $10,000 a month, right? That's equity, right? It's also called something else. It's called socialism, right? So, I mean, it's, it's when performance doesn't matter, right? When your mere existence, when your mere existence is enough to justify equaling you to the highest performer. And it's part of this view that performance is problematic, that it's you know racist, that it's bigoted, et cetera, et cetera. And also that the people that are ahead are there because they were given property and advantages over everyone else, particularly if you belong to the right race and gender. Um, unions tenure, yeah. Um, and un- unions are actually interesting because, you know, I can see, I, I, I talk about this on my channel with unions. I can see a point at which you know, back in the coal mining days with the Pinkertons, you know, way back, um, I can see a need for unions. I I absolutely can. I can see a need for people saying, hey, we're as individuals, uh, we're not as powerful as if we group together. So we are individually choosing to group together. I really don't have a problem with groups of individuals choosing to work together. What I have a problem with, and this is personal problem, but I think it's a it's a fundamental problem that violates our American understanding of you know in the in the Constitution of individual rights and liberties. Um, I think the problem is 
when you are compelled. So if you are compelled to join the union, if you are compelled to give the dues, if you are compelled to uh, negotiate collectively, I think that's a problem. I, I should have the ability to negotiate independently. If I'm a high performer, I don't need to be negotiating with the scrubs. If I can do better, why do I need to say, hey, I'm arguing for the average wage, for the median wage. I deserve more than the median wage. I deserve to be treated in a unique way apart from these other folks. And are they representing your interests or are those unions today representing political causes? Are they supporting to political candidates? Is that the point of a union? I don't I don't think so. Um, so anyways, that's a good point about unions. So, oh yeah, where does this come from? What's the root? Well, I, I, you know, there's a lot of different roots, right? And I just was picking out here the socialist view because I think this is important to the point that a lot of these things are looked at in a socialist sense when these people are attacking it, they attack property holistically. They attack property and the family, right? And the state. So they attack capitalist society along with the, the, the nuclear family and the state. And this goes back to Friedrich Engels, who was a student of Marx, 1884, uh, wrote one of his books was The Origin of the Family, uh, uh, Private Property in the State. I think a lot of this goes back to that. I think a lot of this goes back to that mentality that the household is the problem. That's why a lot of times when I analyze issues, I analyze them not just in the legal sense, but I look wider and I say, why are they attacking the family, right? Why is why is the family under attack? Why are children under attack? Why is this? It all goes back to an attack on private property, attack on the state. These things are looked at holistically in their worldview. So they feel the need to break up the families, make laws that split up families, make sure that cause cause issues with nuclear families. So I think this goes back to that. And I think this is the opposing view. I think this is the biggest challenge is fighting people who have a viewpoint that we need a communal society. We need there to be total, uh, you know, totally no, no, uh, no rules, expectations, uh, that performance isn't a thing, um, that husbands are bad, right? And wives are enslaved. Um, I think that's a problem. And yeah, people say, Will says, socialism in America have been attack on the family unit since 1960s. 100%. And I think that's one of the big problems. I think the problem with uh, with property, the things we're seeing with property are an effect of that, Will. I think it's taken decades, but the work has been done. We're seeing the damage today that was started in the 60s. So I think that that damage, long before I was born, I was born into this, right? I, I, we, I'm inheriting this, right? But it's clear to me that these things are interconnected. And certainly if you go back to their sources and you look, you know, you check the Carfax, you see that this is where it comes from. This is where the same worldviews that are being pirated by uh, the, the World Economic Forum, Xi Jinping, Bill Gates, Greta, they go back to this. Then they go back to the solution is, hey, we got to, you know, enter into a socialist society. Um, and by the way, the solution in this book was, and this is crazy, 1884, the solution was uh, under Ingalls' thought, that women need to enter the workforce. That you know, if women entered the workforce, all of our problems would be fixed. Uh, the world would be a, a great place, a happy place. Uh, obviously, um, that hasn't been a solution, right? So let's get into the uh, the founders. So I've given you guys enough craziness, enough threats, right? Enough the problems, but now I want to give the solutions, right? And and you know, to give the solutions, I often turn back to the founders um, in terms of constitutional views. I. I I used to resist calling myself an originalist, but I would push myself closer to that simply because I don't trust a lot of the modern cases and how they're examining things. I think the way that they, you know, do cases in the Supreme Court nowadays 
it's kind of pathetic when you look at the older cases where they would where they would really analyze things, where they would really go down in the principles into the roots and give fundamental legal analysis. I just they don't do it. They don't do it the same way anymore. Court cases are not thought about in the same manner anymore as when the founders uh, thought about them around the time of the founding of the country. So I, I do I do tend to look back then, and I do tend to look back at the original cases to how things were back then, but also just how they analyzed them when they set up the Constitution. What were they thinking? What was the meaning behind it? Why? And one of the things I hate is the pure hubris that we think we are better than them because we are more advanced in time and technology. There are certain patterns that have repeated throughout all of history. And the founders, when they were creating our country, were looking back at patterns that happened in Britain. They happened in France. They happened in ancient Rome. They happened as far back as Babylon and Samaria, right? These are issues with government that have happened across time. And when they created our government, they did it with a purpose. It does not, it did not need to be changed or altered from that original purpose because that purpose was taking a long view. Today, I think we take too much of a short boot view in the business, political, and judicial realm. Okay, folks, that's the 20 minutes roughly we wanted to share with you from last night's first class in the uh, semester long course, American Property, Freedom, Liberty, and Ownership. If you like that 20-minute segment, you can find the entirety of last night's course, almost two hours long, at AmericanLawCourses.com slash property video. And if you like that, I hope you take advantage of this opportunity to sign up as a student yourself to encourage you to do that. We're extending the 50% off pre-registration for one more day today, which saves you over $1,000 on registering for that American property course. So I urge you to take advantage of this opportunity. You can learn more about American Law Courses generally and sign up for American property at AmericanLawCourses.com.